Good morning. You got, thank you. You're going to speak up. I'm a little older than I used to be, and the hearing isn't as great. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to anyone who is new for here for the first time. It's good to have you here. And for all of our great Crosspoint community, this is a, a great morning. Uh, thank you to the worship team for your good work this morning. I appreciate always uh, being able to focus our thoughts and worship to the Lord. He is so worthy. Everyone, I assume, has a bulletin this morning. If you look in your bulletin, there is an outline of um, today's message and an excessive amount of things to uh, fill in the blank on. And I would say if you're not inclined or don't really like doing that, uh, do it anyway. Um, particularly the last section on growth um, in the bulletin. Um, I think it'll be helpful as you leave. And there's a, there's a good reason for it, and I'll share that as we, as we go. My aim this morning is to talk to you about the meaning and purpose of life and how that relates to intentionally growing. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, every time we open up the Word of God, it is, it's required that you come and open up our eyes to see something uh, wonderful in your Word. You shared things with David who said, um, yeah, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things. He experienced that, and Lord, we want to experience that this morning. So by your Holy Spirit and by your grace, give me the words to say and use your Holy Spirit to teach us in our own inner spirit the things you want us to walk away with today. And I pray these things because of Jesus, what he did for us, and in his name I pray. Amen. Okay, well... Um, you know, people say that there are two days that are most important in our lives. Two days. The first day is the day that we were all born. Pretty important day, right? We all agree. Uh, in fact, this is where you start writing things in your bulletin, uh, fill in the blanks. Okay. You're going to pass those out. Okay. Sounds good. Um, the second day, the second most important day, is the day that you realize why. Why were you born? What, what's the meaning and the purpose of your life? I think there's three, well, everyone has experienced the first day, but I think there's three kinds of people in connection with the second day. There's the first group that really doesn't know. They haven't understood or concluded why it is they've been born. The second group is the group that know. They have a sense of why they're born, what their purpose should be, but don't act on it. And the third group is the group that knows and acts on it. How are you doing? How about you? Do you understand why you were created? You specifically now, your name, your birth date. What is the purpose of your life? Let me tell you about my two important days. <laughs> the first one was 9 9-1959. I was born to 22-and-a-half-year-old Patricia Marie and 21-year-old William Edward Sherrick. It was 78 degrees outside, 9-9-59, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, and I weighed 9 pounds, 9 ounces, and I was 9 inches long. And because of that, they brought me home in something that looked like this. 
because I was kind of like a bowling ball, you know, nine pounds, nine ounces, nine inches long. Okay, everything after 9 a.m. is really not true. <laughs> I just did that for effect. <laughs> but everything else is true. I remember as a very young boy <clears throat> having a deep longing in my soul. And that longing was a longing to be loved, to be accepted for who I am, to be valued. I assume I'm not alone in that kind of longing. Well, here's what I've learned since then. I have value to God and to my family. I want you to take a look at your bulletin and that section and that first question, you are blank to God. I want you to answer that after we go through this section, your value, okay? I have so much value to God, you and I, that God uses big words to describe our value to him. Big words. I love these words. And these are not the only ones. So word number one, in Psalm 18.1, it says, God loves us with a steadfast love. Steadfast means fixed, continuous, reoccurring, self-replenishing. It's such an important descriptor of his love that God repeats that phrase, steadfast love, for us, 209 times in the Bible, and 25 of those times, he uses the phrase, steadfast love endures forever. So not only is it, and so he's talking now about the length of that steadfast love. I did a study with my oldest son a few years ago, and I came to the conclusion, um, a, a few conclusions about steadfast love. So here they are. These are several passages from the scripture on his steadfast love that describe it. It says that the steadfast love of the Lord is before me. It's right here. It's before me. The steadfast love of the Lord surrounds me. The steadfast love of the Lord goes before me. I'm headed in a direction. He's already been there. The steadfast love of the Lord fills the earth. The steadfast love of the Lord reaches to the heavens. A few years ago, we had a Sunday school class over in the old building, and we were talking about the idea of steadfast love, and we had this one room off the classroom that was pretty small, and so Sally and I filled that room halfway high with balloons, and you kind of had to push the door open to get in there, and we wanted to make a point, and what we did was we put candy along the, the walls inside that room, and we said to each one of the kids, you've got to low crawl through these balloons to the wall and find a piece of candy. So that's what they did. Each one did this, and <laughs> one of the funny things was some of the girls would come out, and their hair was like sticking all up because of the static. You know, we didn't anticipate that. It was kind of funny. Remember that? Um, and... And our conversation was around what did it feel like to be surrounded by all these balloons? That's the reality of God's love for us. It fills the earth. It reaches to the heavens. It's before us. It surrounds us. It goes before us. And it's steadfast. It's fixed, continuous, reoccurring, self-replenishing. Another big word to describe his love, this is number two, his love for you is everlasting. It endures forever. Again, I said 25 times. God didn't just repeat this once or twice or five times. 25 times in the scripture it says that his steadfast love endures forever. It's everlasting. It never had a beginning. It never has an end. We can't really wrap our minds around that because almost everything in our world can be defined by time, a beginning and an end. With God, it's not that way. 
it always exists. It's always present. Another big word to describe how God acts towards us, feels towards us, is in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, he lavishes his grace upon us. Let me read the passage. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He lavishes his grace. He doesn't just, okay, here's your portion. He doesn't occasionally or in some kind of measured way give it to us. I think another word for it would be smother, to lavish something. I think of those guys uh, in pro football where uh, the game is won and they come with the big Gatorade bucket and they dump it. But I think of that kind of like, rather than doing that, taking them and just throwing them in an ocean of Gatorade, <laughs> you know, smothering us with his grace. This is, what, this is what God does towards us. Another description or a big word is his power is immeasurable towards you. It's immeasurable. I love that word. Listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17. That God, the Lord of our Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of himself, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, he wants our eyes to be open to see this. Paul is praying, I pray that your eyes would be open and you would see this, that you would get it. This would be something, this would be something visual for you. And this is what he says that you might know the hope to which you are called, what is the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power. Okay, somebody got a tape measure in their truck or their car. Let's see if we can measure this. How do you measure God's power? There is no tape. There's no scale. There's not, even, there's not even anything to compare it to. Like you'd say, okay, God's power is this big and, uh, and, and we have this measure of power and we would say it's 25 times this gigaton of power and that's God's power. It's like, no, it's immeasurable. It can't be measured. It's not that, uh, it's not that we can't measure it, but <laughs> it, can't, it can't be measured. And this is towards us. And it was towards us because the power was displayed in raising Jesus from the dead. That's one measure. He raised Jesus from the dead. Nothing like that's ever happened. Nothing, ever. And then there's two ways, this really delights me, there's two ways God, I like to say, feels about us. This is uh, in uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The first one is, he rejoices over you with gladness. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. We all have parties. <laughs> And we all have moments where something really exciting happens and we all just rejoice. You know, there's kind of this involuntary rejoicing. Somebody wins something or something, some prayer is answered and you just are excited and you rejoice over it. God rejoices over you with gladness. Do you think, do you ever think about that? He's looking at you and He's thinking, oh, I just really think this person is cool. And he's rejoicing. And then it says, he exalts over you with loud singing. The rest of that verse says, 
He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is not singing that's mellow. <laughs> this is loud singing. And to exalt means to try to reach a height of expression in order to express this deep, deep feeling. And God has that for you. He exalts over us with loud singing. Well, <laughs> um, the last thing here, it says, uh, you are the top. What do you think that is? And you are the blank, blank. You are the top dog, okay? You're the top dog. You're the teacher's pet. I mean, based on those passages, I think that's what that's saying. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say to that person, you're the top dog, and you're the teacher's pet. Okay, did that other person say it in a way that really made you feel that? <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> so, so I want to know what your answer to the, in the very top line, it says, you are blank to God. What, what would you put in there? How would you, what would be the word? Valued. You're valued to God. Okay. Any, any bigger words? Priceless. The price he paid. It is priceless. Other big words. How about the word awesome? You're awesome to God. I, okay, understand. He saves us and redeems us. He washes us. We are his new creation. That's an awesome thing. That is an awesome thing. He sees Jesus' righteousness in you as a believer. The angels in heaven go, yes, and they rejoice at the salvation of, of a person. Well, I have no pretense about my own life. I mean, I, I believe these things are true. But my life is small. It's small. But don't forget, small things can be pretty special. <laughs> small things can be pretty special. So let me tell you about my second day. I experienced that second day, a day when I understood why I was created. It was in connection with the story in Acts chapter 4. Uh, that story really changed everything for me. Let me read it to you. This is Peter and John, and they had gone before the, well, they, actually they were in the presence of the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees who were greatly annoyed at them and they, because they were teaching people about Jesus and they were arrested put into custody, and the next day they were brought out. And this was a pretty awesome moment, meaning politically and as far as the city events go, they were brought out before the elders, the scribes, the rulers of the city, Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, who were all of, high priestly, of the high priestly family. And here's Peter and, and John, okay? And they asked Peter and John, okay, tell us, what, why, why, you're do, why are you doing this? Why are you talking about Jesus? And Peter began to talk. And he talked with a tremendous amount of boldness. I mean, he's in, he had just spent the night in prison and wasn't scared of that. And he, but he's talked with a tremendous amount of boldness. 
And at the very end of his little preaching, it says in verse 13, And now they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived they were uneducated and common men, and they were, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> They recognized they had been with Jesus. Peter and John, and the one thing they knew about them was they recognized that they had been with Jesus. One moment, one time, one place, Peter and John gave something to this group. It was a small glimpse. <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was a small glimpse of the most glorious person in all the universe. Hello. <laughs> After hearing that story, I realized I think I was a lot like Peter and John. Common, untrained. I didn't do well in high school. <laughs> I hate to say this. Where's Simeon? He just walked out. Um, He's going to be a freshman this year in high school. I had a 1.68 GPA in high school. Yeah, I like to think of it as kind of a D plus <laughs> as opposed to anything less than that. Um, yeah, didn't do well. Didn't go a lot of times. I worked a third shift job at a jack-in-the-box and my mom would write me notes and didn't do well. And when I, when I encountered the reality that God, God got a hold of my heart and I knew that I wanted to do something meaningful, and I heard that verse, I thought, my heart was deeply stirred with great meaning because the life of somebody like me who was common and untrained, I could add value to the lives of other people if they saw Jesus in me. And so I began to walk with him. And I didn't worry, although I went on to study, studied most of the books in the New Testament over the next three years, and then went on to college. Didn't have to take a college English class because I had studied so much King James English. I was pretty good at it. And, but I, I realized that if I could add value to other people's lives because they saw Jesus in me, okay, what more important, valuable thing could, could my life be used for? I couldn't think of anything. And I thought, even as a common and untrained person, that can happen. And I got really excited about a new purpose in my life. <laughs> God gave me a boldness to try new things. He gave me uh, the willingness to take risk, to think, to seek out things that were really above my pay grade and above my abilities. Why? Because I knew he was with me. And even though I was a common guy and untrained, I was going to try and hope that people would see Jesus in me. And so this passage has guided me over the last 40 years. Um, it's counseled me in two ways. The first way it's counseled me is it, it reminds me of my smallness. <laughs> Especially when I get into tough situations. I cannot count the number of times that I've laid flat on my floor with the door closed in my office begging for God's help because I'm going to go into a meeting and I really don't know what to say. I don't have an answer I feel comfortable with. I have a lot of turmoil inside. And praying for wisdom, praying for understanding, praying for courage to say the thing I know needs to be said, but I, I fear having to say it. I don't know how many times that's happened. And this passage has reminded me of my smallness it's also reminded me to have faith and to be bold. Peter did. And it was that boldness that reminded people of Jesus. 
And if Jesus is seen, if there is a glimpse of Jesus in my action as a result of my action, that can have value in other people's lives, especially believers. It might really tick off some non-believers, and that's happened before. So I want to talk to you about the next section here. It's called the picture. And I want you to think with me about Jesus, this person called Jesus. He was raised from the dead like no one else has ever been. Raised from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of, the, of his father. That passage I read, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the father in heavenly places. Do you know that the, whole, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit all had a part in the raising of Jesus from the dead? In one passage, it says God raised him from the dead. In another passage, it says the Holy Spirit raises him from the dead. In one place, Jesus said, in three days, I will raise from the dead. The second one, um, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews 1, love this passage. This is one of my favorite Jesus is awesome passage. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, long ago at, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in the last days he spoke to us by his son when he appointed him heir of all things through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of his, the glory of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. We have these things called radiators. I don't know if any of you have an older house and there's a radiator, but you go near the radiator and heat is coming off that thing. You don't want to touch it sometimes because it's so hot you could get burned. It just radiates. Jesus radiates the glory, the glory of God. Number three, he is the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he said once to his disciples. I and the Father are one. You want to see the Father? Look here. You'll see him. He's the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. And through him, number four, through him, God created the world. He created the world through Jesus Christ. There is creative power in Jesus. Number four, an amazing day occurred. Again, Peter and John were with Jesus following up onto a high mountain. And here's what it says. After six days, James was with them. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were as bright as light. Okay, I don't know about you, but if I was walking on that mountain path and I saw that happening, what, what was happening? This transfiguration. It says in the word in Greek, I think, is something along the lines of metamorpho. It was this metamorphosis. We, we're familiar with that term. I don't know that it really helps, but it's changing from one form to another. And this form was so glorious and so bright that one of the only comparisons they could use was to compare what they saw to the sun. There wasn't anything else to compare that to. I mean, Jesus and his face and his glory. 
Jesus is a glorious, glorious human being. And to have a glimpse of him really is an awesome thing. Do you know that, uh, number seven, that um, he has over 700 names? All of them are descriptors. They all describe him. It's like this endless amount of names because of the unlimited personhood. Well, how do you describe Jesus? Well, let me give you a few of his names. Maybe that'll help, right? We had a Sunday school class. We, we, hit, we uh, studied 36 of his names, and it was pretty awesome, pretty awesome to, to study those names. And he has over 700. So he has this unlimited personhood, and I believe that Jesus possesses all the best qualities of, this is my thought now, he possesses all the best qualities of every human that ever lived. I believe this because I believe that he passed these qualities on and he passes them on to every person he's created. And so in some way, every single human being in the world glorifies him because of the, the differences. We always like to kind of have everybody doing the same thing. Jesus, God himself, loves diversity, loves differences. So let's face it, Jesus is no ordinary guy. I've worked in human resources for over 20 years. That means that I work with payroll and benefits and performance reviews and employee counseling, supervisors counseling employees and, and leadership training. And I've read and studied and taught about uh, work-related character, how we should act and, and uh, maintain ourselves as employees. I've taught about work ethic and leadership, and I have never heard or seen great life examples that haven't ultimately in some way been examples of the person and the patterns of God himself in the form of Jesus. I, I, it's like the, the best things that leadership experts delight over and teach and talk about are the qualities that are the qualities of the greatest person who ever lived, and that's Jesus himself. So what's your answer to the question, why did he create you? Why did Jesus create you? The unique way that you are. The unique age that you are. The unique skills and abilities and attitudes that you have. Why did he create you? Maybe you're going to guess this, but I've got an answer for you. I've got an answer for you to consider. I would say this, you're born to be great. Um, and this is what I mean by greatness. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, sons and daughters. Everyone whom I have called by my name, who I created for my glory. <laughs> whom I formed and made. He created you for his glory, to be the radiator, to be the person, to be a person who when people look at you, they see something really, really amazing. And maybe like me, you're common and you're untrained. To glorify means to praise or honor something or someone to an extreme degree, to call significant attention to or to magnify. God wants you to magnify him. That's the design 
of who you are. That's the purpose of the design. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, you were born to glorify the greatest person in the universe. Go ahead, do that right now. You were born to glorify the greatest person in the universe. <laughs> I just said a minute ago that Jesus is the picture of unlimited personhood. And I said that for a reason. You know, we have a tendency to put our assessment of ourselves in a box and say, I need to be, if I'm not like these three people who are the leaders in our little group, I'm really not, you know, worth that much. <laughs> God made you different for a reason. He wants to show some other aspect of his glory. Listen to a quote. This is a quote by a guy named Viktor Frankl. He's a celebrated psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It was the meditation on what awful experiences happened in Auschwitz in a Nazi concentration camp and what it taught him about the purpose of life. Okay? So here's what he said. We should not search for an abstract or theoretical meaning in life. Every one of us has a specific job, a vocation or mission in life to carry out, a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. In this vocation, job, or mission, you and I cannot be replaced nor can our lives be repeated. Thus, everyone's task and opportunity is both unique and specific. I don't know about you, but that, that for me says, that's all the more reason to say you, 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 each one of you are important, valuable and awesome to God. Everyone's task and opportunity is both unique and specific. And God puts you in situations where there aren't other leaders or there aren't other people to stand up and do something that would glorify him because that's what he wants and that's what you were created for. After realizing the why, we still have a problem, right? We do. I mean, after we realize, yeah, God, God wants us to glorify him, and that's really awesome, and we're really valuable to him. I still have a problem. I'm stuck with me. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's that side of me that I'm stuck with. So how are you doing? <laughs> On the one hand, you can get excited about this, but then you have to look in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you like what you see? Okay, how about this? Do you see yourself growing or becoming a better person? We all have failures and immaturity. Not smart, not athletic, not creative. So what holds you back from growing? What holds you back from growing? It was about 1982. I was at a Christian camp in California. I was asked to be a team leader during uh, some training, Christian training. And I, had, I was tasked to have a group of about 8 to 10 guys be with me, and I was going to lead them through the events of this week-long camp. And one of the things they did in training for all the team leaders is they said, get out a paper, piece of paper and a pencil, and I want you to make two lists. List all your strength on one side, list all your weaknesses on the other side. 
I said, okay, cool. So I got my pen out, my paper. I started listing. I said, I'll start with the strengths. Okay. Okay, there's another one. Okay, there's another one. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not coming up with a whole lot here. I better go to the weakness side and see what happens. Okay? Okay. <laughs> it took me 10 minutes to come up with three. It took me 10 minutes to come up with 10 weaknesses. And you know what I realized? That one of my problems was I was way too focused on the weaknesses that I had. I didn't really embrace the strengths or the things that God was doing in my life. So how are you doing? What are you struggling with? I, I set up this sequence in this, you know, this presentation um, the way that I did. In other words, talking about purpose and then our value and then the pattern of Jesus, in order to make two main points, one is you have to see value in yourself to add value to yourself. If you think that you're not worth it, you're weak, you're just not worth investing in, you're not going to try to grow. You're going to give up. You're going to allow the excuses that stop you from growing to stop you from growing. You have to see value in yourself to add value in yourself. That's number one. Number two, growth today is the best guarantee of a better tomorrow. If you work on growing today, praying, and trying to do things, that would please God today. That's how growth occurs. And tomorrow you'll say, huh, I think I grew a little bit. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, <laughs> you were born to be great. Now get with the program. <laughs> you were born to be great. Now get with the program. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, Bible, the Bible astonishes me. It just astonishes me because it is the greatest. You can call the Bible a lot of things, okay? So I don't want to limit it to this, but the Bible is the greatest personal growth book in the world. There are over 1,500 imperatives in the scripture, 1,500 things that the Lord says, do this, I need you to try this, I need you to feel this, I need you to think this, 1,500. It's all about growth. It's all about making improvements. It's all about becoming more like the unlimited person of Jesus Christ. And you know, growth doesn't happen automatically. It happens in part because we're intentional. So, interestingly, let me share something with you. This is, Paul met the Thessalonians. I'm going to be wrapping it up now. This is the last section here. Paul met the Thessalonians, and after being with them for a short period of time, he wrote them a letter, and this is what he said in the letter. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Dudes, dudettes, we are praying for you. Remembering before our God and Father your faith, your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea, um, your your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So 
Paul is really excited. He only spent 10 weeks with them and God was working really profoundly in them and they were responding. They were excited about their faith and they were doing stuff. They were growing and they were examples to the entire world. And then at the very end of this letter, he says this. In chapter 1, verse 4, no, chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 10, he says, now, you've made all this growth, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to grow more and more. In that NASB, it says, I want you to excel still more. So, you know, you'd say, well, come on, Paul, aren't you satisfied with their, I mean, well, look what you said about them. Paul's like, no, uh, that was in the past now, and I want you to keep growing, and I want you to excel still more. Why? Because there is a, there is a limitless amount of growth that can take place in our lives as we become like the unlimited person of Jesus Christ. And you are very unique. There, this is a tailor-made thing. So I want to just challenge you to put together a growth plan. So here are the steps. A growth plan. First of all, I want you to think about make a commitment to intentionally grow. Make a commitment to intentionally grow. Make your commitment public. In other words, tell somebody about it. It will strengthen your commitment. Number three, identify two, identify, that's the word, two to five areas that you want to grow in personally. Two to five areas. And one area should be an area of choice, something you're in your choices and the way you choose to do things that would require some sort of self-discipline. The other would be in an area of character. And in this area, you're asking God for assistance, and this will require dependence on him. Both will require, require dependence on him, but this more so because it's an, it's an area of character. Number four, invest 30 to 45 minutes daily seven days a week in this, in this kind of activity, preparing, practicing, and reflecting on those areas you've chosen. Every day, 30 minutes a day. Now you'd say, well, okay, that's, that's a lot of time. You want me to do that every day? Okay, well, let's think about, you know, it, it's a funny thing. It's an amazing thing to me. I, I talk to many leaders in the colleges I've worked in. And I say, hey, we should have some leadership training. We should spend some time talking about leadership principles. And I, I just find this initial thought of, well, no, we really don't have time to do that. And, you know, we've all heard about the, the guy who took the ax and he went out and he was chopping down a tree and he chopped and chopped and chopped for about two hours and he got about halfway through and suddenly somebody walks by and goes, you know, if you sharpen that thing, you'll probably get through that, that tree in just a few minutes. And so we did. He sharpens the axe. And, and that's an easy thing to think about. You know what I mean? It's like you say, okay, well, that makes sense. I need to sharpen the axe if I'm going to chop down the tree. That's true. But imagine this. Imagine pro football. Imagine if the entire NFL said, um, yeah, there's been a... Uh, a decision uh, throughout the National Football League, we are going to dispense with all practice. And all we're going to do is play games. So instead of having 16 games for the season, we're going to have 200 games, and we're never going to practice. All we're going to do is get on the field, and we'll have some conversations, you know, in between plays, 
you better do that better. And we're just going to play. How good do you think that play would be? Well, it wouldn't be good. And, and you know, we say, and, and yet we think that, well, we're too busy to do this kind of a thing. And I'd say, okay, does that really make sense? Does it make sense that it, you're too busy to do this kind of a thing? And I, I, think, I think the easy answer is no. So is it, is it worth the time? Well, if you see value in yourself, you'll add value to yourself. If you know that you're valuable to God, he wants you to grow. Next is invest weekly one hour of reflection and journaling and prayer thinking about those, those seven half-hour times. Number six, share your growth with somebody once a week. Share your growth with somebody once a week. A phone call, a conversation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Here's the text for this kind of action plan. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not now, um, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul says, Philippians, work out your salvation because God is working in you to will and to do his good work. Who's working? Is it you or is it God? <laughs> Pastor can't answer this one. <laughs> Who's working, you or God? Yes. yes. Okay, you got a yes in the back. Anybody else? Yes. I got another yes over here. What, okay, I'm going to interpret what you just said. What you mean is both. You're both working, and that's exactly right. You're working, and God's working, and that's the way it should be. To work out your salvation, um, a guy named, I think his name was Joseph Brown. He was a New Testament scholar. That phrase, work out your salvation, I'm going to define it for you here. Continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. Work out your salvation. Continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. And then the last thing here, look for God working in you. This is something I want to encourage you to do. Look for God working in you and make that part of your daily note-taking and your you're journaling at the, in the one hour each week. And by the way, all of us can be a voice to one another. I used to know a guy, and I, he's still around. His name was Roger Pugh. He was a professor at Grace College. And he had this really uncanny ability to... You'd be talking with him about some matter and telling a story or whatever, and all of a sudden he would just stop you. He'd say, hey, wait, stop. He'd say, you know, every time I've seen this in your life, I've seen God working in this particular way. <laughs> and you just kind of, you know, your mouth kind of falls open. Thanks, Roger. Thank you. So then you keep going on. And then another time, and he would stop you. You know, it's really cool to see God working in your life in this particular way. And he would point that out. He would go out of his way to do that. And I have, ever since the, the Roger Pugh example in my life, I've tried to do that with people. In fact, I've tried to come up with a phrase like, what should I call that, pewing? No, no, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> that's kind of weird. Uh, Rogering, uh, Roger, yeah, okay. So, so I've tried to do that with people. And this is where, as a body... We can do that for one another. So I want to challenge you and encourage you, when you see God doing something in somebody else's life, call them out on it. It helps them understand God's working in them and their growth. Uh, it's a real cool thing. Um, 
So I want to give you, I think I've listed, there's two passages here for you to think about areas of growth. If you want to think about this for a plan, and I'll be done. Um, One is Philippians 4, verse 8, where it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. This would be a good litmus test for you to evaluate yourself against. Then there's the, the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 12. What are your gifts? Where, where are the areas you're strong? Where are the areas that you're weak? There's only one reason you don't grow. You're just not intentional. And intentional means confession, right? It means confession. And then it means, okay, God, I want to I, I grow here. And of all the people in the room, the person who influences your growth, it's you. You're responding. James 1 says that a person who hears the word and looks, in, it's like looking in the mirror. If he hears the word, he doesn't do anything about it. It's like looking in the mirror and going, huh, got a, my hair's flipping out over here and I got some smudging here. Oh, oh, well and I just walk away, I don't comb my hair, and I don't you know, clean up the smudge, that's, that's what hearing the word and not doing anything about it is like. Don't aim at perfection, aim at progress. Aiming at perfection can be an obstacle and a discouragement. I don't mean don't aim at perfection, but don't let perfection keep you back from making progress. You know, I worked with adults with disabilities. Sometimes I feel like I am one. I worked with adults with disabilities for a number of years, and one of the things that we had as a philosophy was take what you can get when you're trying to help them grow. Take what you can get as close to what you want. That's a good principle for parenting, too. (laughs) Take what you can get as close to what you want. If you see progress, take it. Rejoice in it. Celebrate it and say, now we're going to keep going, we're going to try this again, and see if we can get a little bit more progress, and do that with yourself. Give yourself a break. You don't have to do it perfectly. If it's going to keep you from not trying at all, look for progress. I may be small. With Jesus, I have unlimited possibilities. That's the last thing in this. I may be small, but I, with Jesus, I have unlimited possibilities. Okay, so put your money where your mouth is, Scott. This is my growth plan. Um, I started a week ago, and I call it my 8-7 growth plan. I'm trying to grow in eight areas, seven days a week. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm making it public. <laughs> All right. Uh, Yeah, this is hard. Um, Veggie diet. Oh, my gosh. Um, What are you saying? Um, Exercise 15 to 30 minutes every day, seven days a week. A gallon of water every day. I get tired of drinking water. Growth time, 60 minutes a day, 60 minutes. This is a fun one. Encourage Sally in some significant way at least once a day where she would go, oh, that was really encouraging. Okay, that's the goal. <laughs> Do something that would encourage her. Home building time. 15 minutes on something, not just cleaning, but fixing something that would improve the home. Then I've got a private one I want to share with you uh, because of various reasons. And then I've got one uh, writing time. I want to spend 30 days, uh, 30 minutes every day in writing something devotionally um, that I could use to give to somebody else and encourage somebody else. So that's my growth plan for the next six months. And I have all eight things here and I have days of the week and little check boxes. And the reason I'm doing this, my overall growth plan is to grow in self-discipline and consistency because I'm weak in self-discipline and consistency, and that's what I'm trying to grow in. So I've got this whole list, and I'm trying to, 
I'm trying to keep track of it. How am I doing? How's my self-discipline and my growth? Well, about 70%. All right, is that good? No, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep going and try to grow in discipline and If you would just pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word and all the, the treasures that exist in your word and the ways that you express yourself towards us and the ways that you assist us and give us strength and grace and help. And I pray now you would use this something from this message to encourage and assist each person here in Jesus' name, amen.